Hi, and welcome to Kleinversations, Klein ISD's podcast about all things teaching and learning. I'm Monica Schallenberger, and I'll be the host for each episode, and my guests will be rotating educators from all over our school district. This podcast is for anyone wanting to expand their knowledge about teaching and learning, and hear our conversations about the journey of educators being joyful, reflective, transparent, and deliberate about applying their learning to transform the world. On today's episode, I sit down with Lakita Combs, Metzler Elementary Principal, to talk about visible learning, a model for inquiry, and an evaluation based on John Hattie's research. Before we dive into this model and conversation, I want to share with you that Lakita is a student-centered professional with over 24 years of experience in teaching, leading, and learning. She is honored to serve as a current campus principal for five years, with previous experience as an assistant principal, district math and science coordinator, and instructional coach and a classroom teacher. In this episode, you will hear her strong belief in student growth, collaboration, community-driven change, and more. Here's our conversation now. All right, let's get this party started. Welcome, Lakita, to our podcast. Thanks, Monica. Happy to be here. I know. I'm so excited to have our model, one of our model campuses for visible learning on this episode just to discuss visible learning because I think it's not talked about enough. So before we dive into visible learning and that whole model, I would love to hear about a celebration that you have from our district. One celebration this weekend, I had an opportunity to go to the developmental prom. All the high schools were there and the students who participated in that program. It was just really a good time for celebration for kids to really say, this is who I am Mm -hmm. and this is what I like. And just prior to the prom, I'm not sure if you know or not, but the girls go to giving gowns and they get to select a dress and accessories and just really get dolled up for the day. Yeah. Last year was my first time to go um, and I went on behalf of our campus and I was blown away. I just couldn't, I could not handle the positive energy that was in there. And I just was moved to tears so many different times of the night to see these kids glowing. And I just love our district put so much time into creating a truly, it, this wasn't just some thrown together event. Exactly. There's like dance floors, the lights are out. They had Miss Texas there. Yes. I felt like when Miss Texas walked in, I literally think I started crying because these <laughs> kids were so proud that she was there and yes. they just could not stop. And I I couldn't brag about her enough because she just danced the whole night and she was super involved and it was such a great event. So I have to agree with you. It's one of my favorite things about our district. All right. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with the visible learning model, uh, it is a model model for inquiry and evaluation based on John Hattie's research. And I love that there's just one belief that everything is based off of students should experience at least one year's growth over the course of one school year. So I love that the focus is on what works best to maximize student achievement, because I think that's what everyone has at the core of what, why we're educators. And it simplifies a lot of heavy content that is involved in the visible learning model. So that first part of the visible learning model for people who don't know is for campuses to collect data so that leadership teams can build a plan to increase achievement. So tell us what this looked like for Metzler. And was there anything that surprised you in this process? Okay, well, there are five visible learning strands. And in order for us to get an unbiased view of what was happening and what wasn't happening on our campus, we had to learn about those five strands. And we had to look at those strands and ask ourselves some laser-focused questions to help us decide where to next for Metzler. Okay. We answered some questions through focus groups and through interviews and through surveys and classroom visits. 
surprises. There are lots of surprises. <laughs> yeah. Analyzing this data, Monica, one of the biggest surprises we noticed was teachers were working harder than their students. Wow. And yeah. students really were not owning their learning. And mm-hmm. we really were not seeing learning through the eyes of students. Students didn't know what it was like to be a good learner. They thought that being a good learner was paying attention, raising your hand, and listening to the teacher. Uh, Another surprise for us, the staff didn't have a common understanding of what is a good learner? How do, what does that look like in everyday life? So those were some conversations that we had to have. We also needed, we realized that we didn't have a culture of embracing challenge and failing forward. Students really relied on their teachers for the answers and to direct their learning. And all this stuff I'm totally relating to just obviously being on a campus almost a year ago, but didn't know how to, students not knowing how to be a good learner. You're saying raising your hand. You're talking about all these things that are compliance-based that I know for me as an educator was drilled in my head because that's what it was when we were in school. Yes. We got participation grades. You were the model student if you were always raising your hand, asking questions, et cetera. So I love that you're pointing out that that was a surprise because I don't think that that is a um, uncommon misunderstanding. I think it's common still, even though we have a high quality teaching document yes. um, and we're moving away from that. But I love that you said that, that teachers are working harder than students. Yeah. Um, I love that that puts a spin on students not owning their learning causes more work for the teacher. And so we can do this where everybody's sharing in the work. Absolutely. And so it makes it more impactful. So I, I love that you pointed those out. And you said that it's making me think about our feedback practices at that time. They usually just flowed from the teacher to the student. Okay. We didn't realize that feedback was yeah. more effective if it flowed from the student to the teacher, from the teacher to the student and from student to student. Yeah. So that is a piece that we were also missing oh, no, using yeah. that feedback to help the learning go from surface to deep, to transfer levels. Well, I love that you're talking about changing that feedback process where it's continuous and it's going in all directions. So it doesn't even have to be in a full circle. Right. Yeah. Um, and now I'm going to ask you to dive a little deeper in that because it's so like interesting to me because it just changes a typical model of feedback, even from when it was appraiser to teacher. I love that we're moving to a coaching model in our district and leadership in general. Yes. It's not like you're doing all this wrong, fix it. It's like, what do you think about it? And there's dialogue. And I notice that a lot among adult conversations. So t- tell me some ways that you've seen that dialogue and feedback change between the teacher and student to student and student to teacher, et cetera. It's just bringing the students into the conversation, just really seeing learning from the eyes of the students and letting them have that voice and take ownership of the learning. So I may walk into a classroom and I'll see a group of students sitting around a rubric and they're like analyzing each other's work and giving each other feedback about, okay, this is excellent. This is where you are. And here's an opportunity I see that you can make better. So just being open to receiving feedback is was a huge step. I'm blown away by that example, just being a secondary educator to think that elementary kids are sitting around yes. and like analyzing another kid's work and being, there's so many skills involved with that. The maturity level, yes. the communication skills, just the social awareness. Like it blows my mind to think that little kids can do that. And it makes me so excited for them and their parents and their teachers yes. that that can happen at such a young age and we can cultivate those skills and them so young. So that's really cool. So when you dug deeper into your data at Metzler, what areas of greatest need did you find with your students and what were your next steps to attack those needs once you dove in? I know you said some surprises. So mm-hmm. what were some of your greatest needs? Well, we realized that we were focusing on so many things. Yeah. Our plates were overflowing mm-hmm. with best 
practices and strategies. And we really just need to stop and ask ourselves if learning was happening at Metzler by chance or by design. What was our laser focus? Where did that need to be? We really needed to develop a common language and understanding about learning and what it meant to be a learner. A learner. So that was definitely one of our greatest needs. Another one was how do you develop assessment capable learners? Yeah. What does that look like? What does that even mean? So we had to really dig deep to figure that out. And clarity in instruction. We know that clarity, teacher clarity has a high impact. Yeah. Yes. So high effect size. So we need to make sure that our students were very clear about their learning, their current level of understanding, how they were doing and where to next. And just really confident and willing to take on new learning challenges. Okay. I have so many questions. Thinking from like the listener who's like, okay, I love all of that whether they're an administrator, a principal, a teacher, an instructional paraprofessional. I just am thinking of so many questions. So my first one is, when you when did you start this journey? You started years and years ago, right? Like, like five, five years five, ago. Okay, that's what I thought, five years ago. So you were one of our first trailblazing campuses in the district to do this. Um, and I just have to say, I love working with Corwin. I've only worked with them for a year in this position, but they've been so great and supportive. And um, Okay, so when you say what it means to be a learner was one of the things you saw a greatest need for. That was before our high-quality teaching document. Correct, yes. So how did you – and now we have that to really anchor what we are see, want our learner. We have a profile of a learner. We have high-quality yes. teaching. So those things are kind of defined for us. But before that happened, as a principal, how did you center your campus around finding that common – Definition. I mean, it's not really a problem anymore for us because we have those profiles, mm -hmm. but that's such a great lesson for anyone who's trying to gather a group of people and believe the same thing so we can move towards change. So what did you do there? I'm curious. We had lots of meetings okay. with, our, with our team okay. and we had we did lots of Socratic activities okay. where we talked about what, what work verbs do we want to use? Do we want to say effective learner? Do we want to say good learner, successful yeah. learner? What is that name going to be at Metzler? And then we just went back and forth, you know, trying to visualize that. What does learning look like at Metzler? What does it feel like at Metzler? And then we just came up with a big, long list of characteristics of learners. And we just kind of narrowed that down over time. So it was a process that kind of took months for us to work through, but it was everybody and the whole entire faculty was involved. So there's easy buy-in. I mean, that's yes. a good thing about when you're trying to make change, you didn't just involve your leadership staff. It wasn't just you by yourself. It wasn't just a set. It was a whole campus. And I love to hear that. So my next question is you said you saw a great need for assessment capable learners and what do you mean by that? And how did you make that change? Because I know there are people on campuses <laughs> who definitely, I mean, this is a problem across all over the place, not mm -hmm. just in Klein ISD. So when you saw that need, how did you tackle that? Really, just really digging deep to figure out a definition. What is an assessment yeah. capable learner? And we had received all of that training from Corwin yeah, and just awesome. kind of scripting the moves to say, what things are we going to develop over time? We want to make sure that kids are seeing errors as opportunities for learning. We want to make sure that kids are setting goals and kids have tools that they can use to track their process, their, their process. Yeah. Process tracker. <laughs> yes, exactly. I got you. I was there. Right, I was got <laughs> it. Thank you. I love that you're saying scripting over time because a lot of times I have an obsessive sense of urgency and everyone that knows me knows that about me and I talk really fast. So it's kind of obvious, but um, I'm one of those people like when I see something that needs to change, I'm like, let's do it right now. And so right. I love to hear that it's okay to slow down and script it out over time 
include your people in making these trackers for your students and your definitions. I just love the way you're doing this. And then last, you said teacher clarity is such a high effect size. I think clarity in everybody's life has effect size. Yes, totally agree. <laughs> Don't we all want that? Um, and so I just, I, how did you help your teachers provide clarity to their students through the visible learning? I know Corwin does a lot of training. They do. And they give you the content and give you the knowledge. What changes did you see where your students felt like they had more clarity with their teachers? So the good thing about Corwin is they gave us the outline for learning intention, success criteria, but they didn't say it's supposed to be just like this. They didn't say, here's some pictures. This is what you do. (laughs) So some teachers were wanting that, but I think that was by design because it really caused us to research and just really dig to figure out what are learning intentions and success criteria and how do we get kids to look at this to determine where they are with their learning? So it took a lot of teams working together. It took administrators, we would walk into classrooms and talk to teachers. Okay, let's look at your learning intentions. Let's talk about this. And having teams sit together and develop success criteria. So when you say learning intentions for people who don't know that language, is that kind of like an objective in the classroom? Yes. What you're wanting, what are the intentions for our learning for today? I mean, it's kind of obvious with the title. I just want yes. to make sure. Yeah. Okay. And then when you say, that's the thing I love about Corwin too. We've worked with a lot of different um, consultants and I think you're right. Some people want just a, a formula. Let me fill it in yes. and I, I'm going to have success. But I love it when you're working with a group that really cares about your input and what your specific situation is for your campus. So when people are listening to this, not everybody gets the joy to work with Corwin. Yes. Um, and there are people on different campuses in our district that are not on a visible learning campus. So when you're thinking about that listener, how can do you have any suggestions for that teacher on how they can create success criteria and learning intentions to help students in their classroom without having that framework from Corwin, although you can Google it? Yes, that's true. <laughs> Corwin offers so much good content that's free, but... Um, just for that teacher who's listening, who's like, okay, I'm kind of interested in this. I want to create success criteria for my students. How Do you have any suggestions for how they could do that? Absolutely. Okay. Just look at your standards and just really work with a group of people, your team, and just say, okay, here's the standard. How do kids move through this? Let's just break it down, how we teach it, and just kind of really look at that progression of learning. And, and you write it. It's going to be muddy. The first time mm-hmm. you do it is not. It may not be exactly right. And you may have to adjust it as you go because now we're at the point where we're adding kids in and they are co-creating that success criteria with us. So just getting every voice involved in it. It's incredible you do that at the elementary level. Like I just love to hear that you're letting your students buy in. Yes. I just remember there was a time where like, especially for elementary kids where it's like they're kids. I know, right? I'm not going to be involved in this. And it's like, what? You know, I don't know. It kind of reminds me when I waited tables and call, just might be off on a tangent <laughs> no, here. But with people like, oh, there's a, there's kids sitting at my table and they weren't their parents. So they'd give them bad service. And I would be like, I don't care. Like, let me give them good service. I'd still get a good tip from yeah, them. You know, sure. like you can't just assume because kids are kids that they're not important or not give them that respect. Not the same thing with education, but I just thought I'd throw that example in there. <laughs> okay. So for educators who are listening, who aren't on a titled visible learning campus or just anyone who's listening who's not worked with Corwin before, what are some ways that they can incorporate pieces of the visible learning model in their classrooms and campuses to increase that student achievement? Because everybody wants to increase student achievement yes. as one of their goals working with students, period. I don't care what campus you're on, and if you're not, then you should, you're in the wrong profession. So how can people incorporate that model? Well, John Hattie says you start with 
the 10 mind frames, how we view our roles and our impact on student achievement. I would definitely start there. And then just looking at clients guiding documents and making sure that students have ownership of that and that you design lessons specifically around that if you haven't you know, decided upon those for your campus. And then provide students with learning intentions and success criteria because they had clarity and purpose for the mm -hmm. teacher and the learner, and it sets the stage for effective feedback and student assessment of learning. The next thing, if you're inclined, I would say stop by one of the schools, yeah. whether it's Kaiser or Lim, Schultz or Metzler, and participate in linking walks because they really help us to determine our short and our long-term goals as far as laser focus areas. <laughs> and then find a visible learning institute. Yeah. Plus okay. there's, there's tons of books to read. There are Monica. so much. Yes. Corwin has such a good base yes. of um, content. Okay. When you said linking walks, I'll never forget when Kathy Brown brought this up and I was like, Oh, okay. Like a walkthrough. I didn't know what I'd never heard of it before. And she's like, Oh no. And she gave me this packet of stuff to look for. And I was a little overwhelmed, mm -hmm. but for our secondary folks listening, they have no idea what a linking walk is. And maybe for some of our elementary people who have never heard of visible learning, um, what is a linking walk? Just, and I think you can probably Google this information too to probably find it. I might try to link this in the show notes, but what is a linking walk? Well, you have a predetermined focus, whether it's going to be student engagement, feedback, questioning. We are going around to classrooms for about 15 minutes at a time. And each person, and this is the unique thing about Lincoln yeah, Walks. It makes them different part. from learning walks mm -hmm. and from instructional rounds. Each person has a different focus. So one person may be pulling kids to talk to. We're collecting student voice, right? And they may talk to five kids during the session. And we move around from classroom to classroom. We come back to our community area. And then we're creating all these graphs and charts about what we saw. It's incredible. It is. I love that it just incorporates so many different people and so many different perspectives because I know for me, one of the things about walkthroughs, unless you go talk to a colleague about it, like, oh my gosh, look what I yes. saw. Look at these pictures I took. It can still be engaging for both people, but you're not really involved in each other's walkthroughs. Right. And I love, don't, isn't it, it's not just leadership team on those walkthroughs. I mean, on those linking walks, right? Right. It's like teachers. and yes. Teachers, people from other schools, other it. school administrators, other school teachers. We actually have a teacher on campus who's leading the linking walk. Oh, so when we, we're off campus, can't be there or just to collect data in a different way. We have a couple of teachers who are taking that step out and they're leading, leading those walks. So if you, and you only do it like once a semester, right? Because it's pretty in, work intensive or how many times do you we actually do it? do it every month or every other month. Really? Yeah. Wow, because we incredible. need that data for yeah. our laser focus. We need to know what PD we're going to focus on in the yes. summer. What are some quick wins for us and things we can just turn around in a quick pop-up workshop the next month. Oh, I'm so inspired by you right now because you're just like, you're running this campus based off the voices of other people. You're involved. You're getting other people involved. So let me just commend you there. I'm just like, I'm it's like, great oh work I know it's it is. Work. It's just so community based. All I hear is you're involving all these people, all these voices, feedback and information. And it sounds, it can sound complicated to people, but like in the real world, all we want is clarity, information and yes, community, you know, absolutely. You're right. put that on a shirt and sell it. Right. Okay. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. I know. Yeah. What did I say again? Clarity, community, and information. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. We're going to get that on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag visible learning. Okay. And Corwin. We could put Corwin. Corwin, if you're listening. Okay, so what's been the most challenging and rewarding part of involving this model on your campus? This is my last question. I just... If people want to start incorporating little pieces, and I like how you said earlier, it's a process. Mm -hmm. So you kind of can scaffold yourself into it. But what, is, what are some of the most challenging and rewarding parts? 
just understanding as far as challenges, just understanding that visible learning is not a program. Mm -hmm. And every school's journey is going to look different. We really had to change our mindset in order to take risks and just step out of there, right? Um, we really had to embrace being a favorite learner. And as administrators, we were learning with our teacher. So yeah. we tried our hardest to stay one step you know, ahead of them. But sometimes we had a lot of teachers who were going way beyond us, really? right? So we had to do a lot of studying to make sure that we can give them the direction they wow. needed as well. Yeah. And Gosh, those were challenges, but they really sound like rewards now that I'm thinking about it. I know, it. and now I have questions for that. So when you say they got ahead, what's one example? Is it based on the content or like how they get ahead of you guys? Let's say that they were digging into success criteria. Okay. Like we were teaching the staff, like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Here's our first step. We walk into their room. They're like, oh, I'm co-creating it. Right. Oh, and wow. we're like, oh, Very we need to come ahead. and learn from you. Yeah. Let us come in and do a video. So we were not, you know we go into a room just to learn from teachers and the things that they're doing because they're digging deep in the work. And going back to that community, there's something so powerful about learning with someone. And I think that goes back to servant leadership too. It's not that management style of like, I'm going to tell you what you need to know. This is how you lead your yes. building. It's we're going to learn together. And I love that model, even in professional learning, the person who's presenting quote unquote, isn't, shouldn't be the, the, most knowledgeable person in the room. Absolutely. You should be facilitating and you should be learning with your yes. people, not just speaking to your people. So, um, and the good thing about that visible learning sets the, the structure for that. We have teacher impact groups yeah. and teacher impact partners. So teachers are getting together regularly for book studies and they're going in and out of each other's room to give feedback on the impact cycle that they're working, working on. And so that's a lot of where we got that information with, you know, trying to stay ahead of them. Okay. They, so you have now I have more questions. You, you see, you're just like a rabbit hole of Alice in Wonderland. So you have impact groups yes. and impact partners. So tell me how, if I'm a principal on a campus or I'm just a teacher leader, and I'm thinking, ooh, this might be good on our campus. What does that look? What do those impact groups and partners look like? And are they separate than your mentoring? Yes. Okay, wow. That's a lot of so organization here. The impact groups, those are people who have the same visible learning strand. So in the building, we may have teachers working on feedback. We may have okay. another group of teachers working on inspired and passionate teaching. For the whole year, that's yes. their strand? Yes. Okay. And or do you tell them that or they get to decide No, their they decide based Love off the it. data they collect yeah. from their kids. Okay. So the kids drive. Kids-driven yes. strands? Yes. Oh my gosh, put that on a shirt. Okay. <laughs> I love it. We're going to have like a I know you're speaking. Full of shirts. I know. So, okay. Um, so yes. they're on the strand and then how, and are those groups? So if you're in the feedback strand for the year, you're yep. in another impact group with a bunch of feedback people. Yes. Too. And we give them a book to go by. So okay. the feedback one was a learning challenge book that James Nottingham, you know, um, authored. And then there's another one for the visible learning teacher and the assessment capable learner. So not only did they have an impact group, but they had a book study around it. Okay. And they just kind of grew together. And do they organize that or is your administration team organized? So that? we put it out there, like okay. what's your strand? And then once everybody puts their data in, we put them into groups. Okay. And so you can see all the data yes. for their student information. And then the partners, tell me more about that. Is that feedback partner, feedback partner, or is it feedback partner and success criteria? Or is it It could be a, a different partner. Oh, it can be different because strands. sometimes we'll put like a first grade teacher yeah. with a third or fourth grade okay. teacher. And she may say, okay, you know what? I am working on feedback please come into my room and ask my kids these three questions on your conference period. So she, they're collecting data for each yeah. other based around their impact cycle. 
Wow. I know. It's so pretty collaborative. Cool. So tell me as a principal, how has that driven your professional learning? Because it's, I mean, this is driving your whole campus instruction. So I know it's got to change you as a professional learning facilitator in your team. Absolutely. So, we have so many teacher leaders yeah. that are coming forth in this process. Ugh. We have what we call pop-up shop Wednesdays where it. teachers are leading the learning. So they may say, okay, I'm going to do this pop-up shop on effective feedback. If you're interested, come. So we'll have like five sessions going on on a Wednesday morning and teachers just choose where they want to go. And then they leave feedback for us. And we use the feedback they leave to design our next pop-up shops. Love it. You're empowering leaders through the visible learning. It's pretty cool. It's like visible learning for your adults, too. You know what? I'm telling yeah, you, Monica, it is. It can be transferred. Yeah. We've been in the pit so many times yeah. as educators, you know, and you have to embrace it because mm -hmm. this is hard work. It's mm -hmm. messy. You may not have the answer right when you think you should have it. Yeah. And it's just, you just got to embrace it. I just feel warm fuzzies talking about this because all I hear in it is so much like teamwork, a very familial feel to the whole thing. It's not like one man out to themselves. Like I get a picture of a frazzled teacher in my head sometimes, especially as a campus admin. Too many times you see that. And it's going to happen even on a campus like this. It's just natural. But I love that you guys have teams. You have partners. You're including them in the work. Nobody's thinking like, I wonder where our direction is. Yes. I wonder what our administration and our leadership team expects, what we expect from each other. And that's why I love visible learning because everybody wants to see one year's growth, I hope, yes. in the yes, student. Absolutely. We're not asking for perfect test scores. We're not asking. It's talking about how kids individually can grow. And that's why I love visible learning because I just think um, there's just so many good components that can really push kids to success. So yes. I just love that you're one of our model campuses and um, I'm so glad we got to talk about visible learning. Can so, I tell you about yeah, some of the rewards? Please, I want this you is to. super exciting. Yes. You know, we had a, like an aha moment last week. We're like, you know what? Visible learning is a, a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It extends outside of the school. We've got parents emailing us, telling us that their kids want their next reading list or their next word list in their Christmas stocking for Santa. Aww. So they're trying to level up and they're trying to reach their goals. So, so it is. It's pretty cool. You walk into a classroom and kids are walking up to you with their success tracker saying, look at my progress. Aww. Look how I'm doing with my learning. Will you come? conference with me about my learning. So that is like the most rewarding part of my day when kids are excited about learning. I think too, just like, I think I'm thinking about, I think it's so adorable because I think little kids are precious and I never was at elementary, but thinking about even teenagers, sometimes when teenagers get a little bit older, I taught 15 through 18 year olds and taught and coached. And sometimes just natural apathy happens or they're a little bit unmotivated. I think this would be so good even in secondary schools. I yeah. know it's a little bit more difficult to implement at a secondary level just because of the size of campus, et cetera. But it can be done. I think it'd be oh, yes. really powerful and impactful with teenagers. I agree. Because unfortunately, I think some kids, they hit so many hurdles and challenges, just some, not all, that maybe it discourages them from being excited about learning. And I think this, this could really energize some kids, if they just had a focus and a collaboration and a community that really is centered around, listen, we just want you to grow, have yes. growth for one year. And then understanding what learning is like, yeah. you know, this is supposed to be difficult when you're learning something new, you're supposed to struggle. It's okay. Everybody feels this way, yeah. but guess what? You're going to move through that. You're going to get out of this pit because you've got strategies to get out. You know exactly how, and those strategies lead back to the profile of a learner, right? And when you get out, you're going to celebrate. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> you're going to have that eureka moment, but guess what? Get ready because yeah. it's going to be another learning challenge. You want you to expect that, expect to be in the pit. 
You know, oh teachers gosh. tell kids, no, watch out now because I'm about to throw you in the pit. Oh, they say that. They do. That's funny. So they I'm know about it's to coming. challenge you. Yes. But you talk about um, such a great message for life. Like, yeah. I could have just clipped out that whole thing you just said as a powerful, inspirational, inspirational message for adults, yes. teenagers, kids. That's so true. And it's such a good lesson to teach them in school. But because academics are so important, like it's okay to struggle. I know I was never taught that in, in an academic setting. At home, I was, but like nobody mm -hmm. said, like it's okay if you don't get a group. I was, I need to get an A on everything, exactly. you know. And so it's just so nice that y'all are sh telling, like we're about to get muddy, it's about to get a little dirty, in yes. here, and it's okay. Yes, and we're gonna come out, and we're gonna celebrate together. Absolutely. Ugh, I want to be a student at Metzler. Come on. <laughs> okay, so let's go to. We're gonna switch gears to our, our our exiting part of our podcast. So, um, thank you so much for sharing about your visible learning. I really, I really appreciate it, and I just, I can't wait for other people to hear. Um, and I'll put some things in show notes too. People want to kind of explore a little bit for their campuses because okay. I think there's little pieces you can start to incorporate. Um, and again, Corwin has so much good content on the internet. I think it's um, easy to start scaffolding some of that thing, some of those things in your on your campuses. So, what's one favorite thing you have in general right now? This <laughs> your is face, nuts. your oh, face says gosh. it all. I can't wait to hear it. No, really, it's just nuts. Um, la a couple of weeks ago, I learned about this app. It's okay. called Get Upside. And upside. Okay. I don't even know what got me started with this. It is actually, I'm embarrassed to say, it's about gasoline and saving money. Because <laughs> I'm not like the couponing kind of person, right? Yeah, me neither. But with this app, you just open it up and you like put in your location. It comes up and they show you all the gas stations that are around you. What? And the, the good thing about it is that you can save like up to like 30 cents a gallon. Yeah. Wow. So all you do, you check in at the gas station okay. and every gallon you can save like 20 to 30 cents. And then that money can be used for like a gift card to somewhere or it can go back on your PayPal account. Right. Oh, it's attached so, to PayPal. So yes, just send you the money. Yes. So oh I'm just gosh. like driving around burning yeah. gas just to see <laughs> yeah. how it works and how much money I can actually That's not save. Dumb, you should not I be embarrassed. Know. This is so unique. I'm not a coupon. Is it a free, me neither. Is it a free it app? It is. It's free. Oh, I'm totally downloading this when we're done. That's so interesting. I, I love it. I love a good app. Okay. And so what is one favorite book you have? It doesn't have to be educational, but it can if you want it to be. What's one favorite book right now? Right now, I'm actually reading um, Becoming by Michelle Obama. I had oh, an opportunity to go to her show you? here in Houston. Was it so good? I heard it was life-changing. Was, was it? It was amazing. I know. I heard the so, book is so good, too. Just knowing that she's a real person. She's yeah. got such a neat personality. And that she experienced a lot of the struggles that we do mm -hmm. every day mm -hmm. as as people, as women. Yeah. Yeah. And I love I love her leadership. And she's like, her and... And, and Barack are so like Barack. We're on a first name basis. I follow her on Instagram, so she seems so real. <laughs> yes, and so does. she was going on tour. I didn't realize she was coming to Houston. I missed my chance, but okay, I'm definitely. That's on my book list. Yeah, it's so a good have, read. It's a good read. Okay, yeah. good. Well, thank you so much for coming on our episode today. I'm just so excited that we got to visit and just continue to do the work that you're doing for your Mutzler students. Well, thank you, Monis. It's very energizing work. It's great work. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow, I'm walking away from that episode feeling energized about the great things happening at Metzler Elementary and all of our visible learning campuses. I love that visible learning can be applied to both elementary and secondary and is focused on student growth that involves every voice of teachers and students, collaboration for community buy-in, constant learning and growing by the students and adults, and a focus on a love of learning. 
If you thought Lakita sounded enthusiastic, she's like that in real life with an exuding positive energy as she talks about what's going on at her school. I was walking out of the building to the parking lot and I could hear her on the announcements for the afternoon. I found myself smiling all the way to my car because you could hear her smile and her voice and positive tone that truly symbolized the culture at her school. I kept thinking, this is what it's all about. Creating a positive culture centered around a love of learning and a strong community for kids and staff. I know when I'm listening to podcasts, I like a clear path to resources talked about in the episode. You can access your show notes on any podcast platform that you're listening to this episode on right now. In today's notes, I've included multiple links based on what Lakita was talking about today. I'll link some articles and videos about the 10 mind frames of visible learning, success criteria and learning intentions information, indicators of assessment capable learners, and more. So go check those out. I hope those resources help you dive deeper into making learning visible in your classrooms and on your campuses. Encourage your friends and colleagues to listen to our podcast. And thanks for listening. Until next time, here's to taking our learning and transforming the world.